But last week, Pastor Ben uh, spoke on the first part of Luke chapter 4, and one of the key things we want to remember as we're coming into this chapter, and actually the rest of the book of Luke is the central theme of this Jesus announced as he preached in the synagogue in Nazareth when he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And uh, Tiffany, that was actually a great introduction uh, for us because Jesus expects his people to exhibit this too throughout the world as we go with the gospel to be people who are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ through compassionate ministry. And that's what we see Jesus start to do in Luke chapter 4 in verses 31 to 34. And let's stand as we read this and then I just have a few thoughts on it today. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out in every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. And now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her and immediately she rose up and began to serve them. And now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So the previous scene had Jesus in Nazareth, and what happened at the end of that scene? What did they want to do with Jesus? Chuck him over a cliff. All right. So you go to some people, you proclaim the message of God to them, and what do they want to do? Throw you over the cliff. How do you react to rejection? When people just don't want anything to do with you, what's your next move? Or if you want to share the gospel with people, you want to share the good news with them, but they just don't want it, what's your next move? Out the door? <laughs> well, Jesus moves. 
Now, he doesn't call down anything on them. He's, you know, he kind of said, you know, it's going to be bad, bad for you if you reject this message. But really, he moves on in compassionate authority to take the message elsewhere. He goes to Capernaum. We don't know how long it was between the Sabbath that he was at and the, the, the synagogue in Nazareth and now at Capernaum. Maybe it was next week. We don't know. But there's, there's, this is another Sabbath, and actually we're going to get a 24-hour window here on Jesus' life and ministry. This is really early in his ministry. He hasn't even called any of the, the disciples yet, although he names one here, but that's because we already know who these people are. But Jesus is rejected in his hometown, and he responds out of clear, deep personal confidence in his true identity. He knows he's loved by the Father, he knows who he is, and he is very clear on his purpose, and so he just continues to pursue that. It's a contrast with the Nazareth response, right? They're astonished at his teaching. His word possesses authority. His word possesses authority. Now, in contrast, all the rabbis and their, their synagogue leaders in those days, the only way they had any authority is if they quoted a lot of the Old Testament and they quoted, well, rabbi so-and-so says this and rabbi so-and-so says that and this rabbi said this and this rabbi said that and they just basically say, here's all your options. Jesus very rarely even quotes the Old Testament and he quotes none of the rabbis. His word has authority. And they're shocked at this. This isn't how a rabbi teaches, but his teaching carries weight. Notice that this was also a custom of Jesus. Jesus is in the synagogue at the Sabbath. And chapter four, verse one says, this was his custom. Well, he's just a good Jewish kid. He goes to synagogue every single Saturday. And now that he started his ministry, he'll have 156 roughly Sabbath days left. Have you ever thought of how many Sundays you got left? <laughs> you can do the math if the average age is about 80. I think we did this a while back, didn't we? Or was that in Freedom Session? That was in Freedom Session. How many Saturdays do you have left? What are you going to do with your life? Because you have about 52 a year times the average age span of 70 to 80, and then do the math. How old are you now times 52 minus however many? What are you going to do with it? Jesus had a very clear thing. He went to the synagogue and he taught every week. Or at least he attended and was part of it. What happens in the synagogue? Jesus is teaching. He's, we don't know what he's teaching. Again, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, boy, it would have been really great to like get sermon notes from Jesus at least, right, Luke? Nothing. It's like, oh, he's teaching in the synagogue. Oh, and then this, this happened, and then we move on, and he doesn't really give us anything about what Jesus actually taught in the synagogue. As he was preaching in all the synagogues of Judea, that's how the passage ends. And then, you know, again, we got like no sermon notes, no outlines, didn't publish a book out of it. Here he is. His word has authority and his actions have authority. This is the first thing we need to see out of this whole passage is Jesus moves with authority and clarity. 
He's teaching in the synagogue and a man with an unclean spirit cries out, I know who you are. Have you come to destroy us? You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus silences him, casts him out, and restores this man to freedom. He has come to free, set at liberty, captives. And that's what he's doing in this moment. And we'll see that a little later on. Now question, why does Jesus silence the demons? Because are they wrong in what they're saying? You're the Holy One of God. You have the authority to destroy us. You are the Son of God. They're absolutely theologically dead on. 100%. They know exactly who Jesus is. They proclaim who he is. Why does Jesus shut them up? James Edwards in his commentary says this, Jesus silences the demons because in God's kingdom, revelation is dependent on relationship. Revelation is dependent on relationship. If God wants to reveal himself, he does it through personal relationship with people. And that's the first thing we need to see out of this. God calls, you know, he's going to call Moses. He comes to Moses. He's going to call uh, Abram. He comes to Abram. He calls Saul, a persecutor of the church. He comes to him directly and establishes a relationship. That's how revelation works. It works in the context of relationship with God directly, not through any other mediated source, and especially not the enemy. These guys know exactly who Jesus is, but they're the wrong messengers. Another thought I had about this is correct theology which is exactly what these guys are doing, does not work in such a way to coerce or to control or to have power over others. And really kind of some of the underlying thing here is, at least in ancient Near Eastern thought, to know the name of somebody, especially the gods, was to be able to extract from them what you want or to control the god. To know the name of the god was to control the god. So Jesus is kind of trying to, we're, we've got to break this down. Even though they have correct theology and this may be a way of them trying to gain cont control over Jesus to say, hey, we know, we know, we know, we're one, we're one step ahead of you. Jesus shuts them down and says, you don't know anything. So here's the thing. Correct theology does not result in control and power and pride, but the opposite if we, because the demons got their theology correct, but they use it for control and power and pride. And if we use our theology for control and power and pride to exert unnecessary influence and power over people, then even if our theology is correct, it's got a demonic heart behind it. Theology, correct theology, even conservative correct theology isn't about control and pride and arrogance, but the opposite. Proclaim good news to the poor, set at liberty the captives, recovery of sight for the blind, set at liberty the oppressed, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Have this mind in you that it was, was in Jesus Christ, 
who being in very nature, God didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the nature of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Correct theology should push us to service and humility and patience. Be silent, come out of him. Jesus shuts down this communication because it is one that seeks control and power and that is incorrect. Jesus rebukes the demons and they have to shut down. And all were amazed and said, what is this word? It has authority and power. He commands unclean spirits and they come out. First thing, Jesus has authority. The second thing we see is that in and through his authority, the exercise of his authority comes through his compassion. He rose, left the synagogue, and he entered Simon's house. Who, who's Simon? Where'd this guy come from? If you're just reading Luke for the first time, you don't know who this is. Now, of course, he's writing to people that know the story, so they kinda, we can fill in the blanks too, right? Simon Peter's house. In Capernaum. Now, ar archaeology has now found, one, the synagogue in Capernaum, and pretty much a stone's throw away, a house that seems to have been, by the end of the first century, turned into pretty much a church. There's like mosaic, there's, there's different things on the walls. It's unlike any of the other houses, and they're pretty sure that's probably Peter's house. Probably a church started there not too long after the resurrection. I'm, I'm sure of it. You can go there. You can visit it now. They went to Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to her on his behalf. Implications of that? And we tackled this with, uh, when we got to this in Mark's gospel too. This happens in Mark's gospel. Peter's married. His mother-in-law is living in his house with him. Jesus heals her. Jesus often goes back to Capernaum and is often in the house at Capernaum. This becomes kind of their, their base. Even though Jesus says, I don't have anywhere to lay my head, uh, I don't own anything, he doesn't have a house. Home base is Capernaum for Jesus' Galilean ministry. You think Jesus knows the mother-in-law's name? Peter's got a wife in there too. One of the interesting stories I like is, well, they're in the house of Capernaum, they're talking about who's the greatest, and Jesus calls a little child into their midst. I wonder whose kid that was. I wonder if he knew that name. And the other implication I often think of when I think of this story of Peter's mother-in-law and the family that would be attached to this is when Jesus, when, when Jesus says, how hard is it, is it to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Peter says, Lord, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus looks at him and I love this. I love this because it's so personal. And, and if, if we don't remember that Peter has a family, this doesn't mean a whole lot. Blessed are you who have left house and wife and children and family for me in the sake of the gospel. 
for you'll receive back much more. You know, see, sometimes we'll read that without the heart, without the emotion, without the relationship. And it's in that moment that it's just like, like Peter had to leave real people with real names to follow Jesus. And we better not forget that. Because sometimes we'll have to do the same. To some extent. See, Jesus was rejected in his hometown. His brothers and sisters didn't believe him. And at one point, his mother and brothers and sisters come to take charge of them because they think he's lost his mind. Real relationships are swirling around in every page of Scripture, real people with real families and real stories. And in the midst of this, Jesus walks with authority and confidence and compassion. He stands over her, rebukes the fever, and it left her. It's the same word for rebuking the demons. Later, it'll be rebuking the wind and the waves. And here we see that Jesus has power over demon and disease and nature. He is the almighty authoritative son of God, but his heart of compassion is so close to people. The sun was setting. It's the end of the Sabbath, so now people can carry people to him if they need it. Uh, People can walk there. That's the importance of the sun setting as the Sabbath is over now. You know, the the people that can't walk can be carried and those who had to walk too far could come. It was the first opportunity they had to get to Jesus because the word had spread already. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Now this is a unique move. This didn't happen. Rabbis didn't do this. Uh, Other people who, who claimed to be healers didn't touch other people. Even the priests, when they looked at a leper, if you go back and we'll look at this next week uh, in, the, in the case of healing of, of the leper, you go back to Leviticus 13 and 14, two chapters on leprosy, and the only thing a priest does is look. Jesus touches. Jesus touches. His compassion requires time and touch and truth. Jesus touches every one of them. He doesn't see it as a crowd of sick people. He sees them as individual, individuals to be set free. Again, the demons cried out saying, you are the son of God. But he rebukes them, doesn't allow them to speak because they know he's the Christ. You are the son of God. This is the baptism, the temptation, and now the demons again. Over and over in these first chapters of Luke has been this resonating thing that Jesus is the Son of God. He has amazing divine authority, but he has amazing heart of compassion at the same time. Jesus responds, really, this story of this day after rejection at Capernaum is authoritative compassion. He has authoritative compassion, and he sticks to his mission. And when it was day, he departed. So we've had the Sabbath, it got dark, people came. He spent who knows how long healing and casting out demons and exercising his authority and his compassion for people. And then day breaks and he departs and he goes to a desolate place. In Mark's gospel, it's before the sun even came up. 
The people sought him, came to him, and would have kept him from leaving them. They wanted to control Jesus now. <laughs> they want to, you got a good thing, keep it to yourself. Let's not let Jesus get away. They, things are going good. Keep, keep the hero here. But he says, I, got, I can't stay. I have a much bigger mission. I must preach the good news. And the word for must there goes all the way through Luke and it speaks of divine necessity, an appointed task. It has to happen this way. This is God's desire. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. And what is the content of the good news? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of slight sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this was his one message over and over. He's got to be the compassionate, authoritative Jesus. He comes in authority. His word has authority, but his heart is brimming with compassion. So Luke presents the rejection of Nazareth followed by the reception of Capernaum. And he starts where, with, with an act of Jesus that he will later instruct the 12 and the 72. Whenever you go to a town, uh, if they receive you, stay there, do your work there. If they don't, shake the dust off your feet, move along. Go to, some, go to people who will receive it. Jesus is here living this out right at the very beginning of his ministry. So what do we take away from this? Luke's telling Theophilus, I want you to know the certainty of the things that you have heard about Jesus. And one of the things that needs to come across very clearly right at the beginning is the kingdom expectations are not normal. They are not imperial and they're not about power and control and political authority, but they're about serving in compassion to the least and the outcast. Jesus' authority in speech and action is over force, spiritual forces and diseases, which is exercised through his compassion in his serving of people so that the kingdom message can go out to all the world. And these traits, especially the compassion and the serving, are consistent in the life of the early church and in Paul and everywhere that the gospel goes. We are to meet people where they're at in compassion. Jesus came to be as one of us and he meets them. He met the people even in his own day as one of them. He went to the synagogue every day, read the scripture, rehearsed God's acts of salvation in the festivals, and taught probably from the prescribed readings of the day in the synagogue. He met them where they were at with his authoritative word and his compassion. Speaking the truth in love. And he is responsive to the spiritual, physical needs of the people, whether possessed or the demonic who is possessed, the demon tries to throw him down and hurt him, but Jesus delivers him from all harm. Peter's mother-in-law is released from the fever and the diseased, 
the marginalized and the outcasts are touched and set free. He connects with people. His authority is exercised through his compassion for the sake of his mission. The mission always pushes beyond the location. I've got to preach to other people. The mission always expands beyond tribal control. You can't hem me in. I've got to go speak to other towns. And so Jesus, right at the beginning of Luke's gospel, is seen as one who is going to be going, and the gospel is going to spread. Jesus is constantly traveling from this point on, preaching, which is a foreshadowing of the later travels of the apostles and the preachers and the gospel of the gospel in the book of Acts. To go with authority that Jesus gives us because he said, all authority is given to me, therefore go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So we have a delegated authority. Jesus had it inherently. And that authority needs to be exercised through compassion for those that need compassion to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The authority of Jesus exercised through compassion for the sake of the kingdom mission. Let's pray. The Lord, today this passage reminds us that Authority from your word isn't authority to control, but authority to release from oppression, to release from control, to break chains that bind people, to set free captives, to touch the broken and the hurting, to be with people in their pain. And so, Lord, may you work in us hearts of compassion that will move in your authority for the sake of your mission. Thank you for your work for us. Thank you for modeling what you expect of us. Lord, as we work our way through the Gospel of Luke, will you change us more and more into the image of your Son so that we, too, can move with compassionate authority for your kingdom mission that you have appointed for us in our day, in our time, in our moment in history. In Jesus' name, amen.